Hi there! You're about to listen to a vintage episode of the Under the Microscope podcast. While the content is still as relevant and as interesting as when it was recorded, our webpage has changed. You can now find us at thesciencetalk.com slash real-scientist-nano. Welcome to Under the Microscope. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials and nanoscience, who would be curating the RealSci underscore nano Twitter account. Today we have with us Otto uh, Mustonen, who is a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Sheffield in the United Kingdom. Hi Otto, wonderful to have you on Real Scientist Nano. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Great. Let's start with your scientific journey so far. So how did you end up uh, at Sheffield doing a postdoc. How, how, tell us about your scientific journey. Well, um, I was a little bit of a lonely kid when growing up okay. and I had this idea of like, wouldn't it be great to be a lorry driver? Like that's a job where you don't have to, like you don't have to interact with other people too much. Right. And then, then it all went wrong. Uh, I did not become a lorry driver. I don't even have a driver's license, but I did end up doing something else. I ended up doing science and science, if, despite the stereotype, is still not something you just do by yourself. Science is something you do in teams. Right. Uh, so when I was a kid, uh, slightly after this lorry driver career plan, um, uh, where I grew up in, I grew up in Finland. I'm from Finland uh, near the capital Helsinki. And there was this uh, science center or museum, if you will. And uh, they were, of course, doing lots of outreach. That's what the whole thing was about. Mm-hmm. And I always enjoyed visiting there. And my mom, she signed me up on these short courses in the summer uh, because she wanted to, you know, have some, some time of her own. <laughs> you know, it, Makes sense, with, yes. And we used to do all these cool things uh, on these courses. Like we would do things like classical, you know, kids' science experiments, like, you know, the elephant toothpaste, always yeah. fun. Uh, we used to do water rockets with water and dry ice. Mm-hmm. Lots of fun, that sort of things. So, like, looking back, I think that was probably, like, that outreach was probably had a lot to do with me eventually ending up doing science. So to me, like looking back, it's like, well, outreach actually is really important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I was finishing high school, I was in high school, I was really interested in chemistry and physics and math. Mm -hmm. And I had to decide like, okay, what do I want to, you know, what do I want to study at university? Should I go for physics or should I go for chemistry? Uh And I ended up going, going with chemistry. Right. I like do I like doing experiments. Okay, okay. And uh, 
but then you know a couple of years into my undergrad uh, I learned about uh, solid state chemistry and I learned that well you don't have to choose between chemistry and physics you can just do both absolutely why not <laughs> because in the solid state they're just kind of the same thing Absolutely, yes. <laughs> so I had a, um, so I became interested in solid state chemistry and then I was very lucky. I got a um, summer internship at a research group at my university and that was, that was actually paid. So that was nice. That's good, yeah. <laughs> and that's when I kind of fell in love with, fell in love with research. I, I was lucky enough to have a, have a very good uh, PhD student who was finishing up close to finishing her PhD and she was an excellent mentor to me and I, I was like wow I want I want to be like her I want to be like <laughs> know everything and like do all these cool experiments and that yeah. sort of thing so yeah. I think so other than the outreach I feel like mentorship is is really important and having role models absolutely absolutely yeah that makes sense yeah Absolutely. Um, huh. That's so, really interesting. Yeah, please go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, so then uh, I ended up doing my uh, master's and then uh, then PhD at this group. I So when I was working with this PhD student, we were doing magnetism. And then in my master's, I was doing batteries. I actually worked for a battery company for a while. Okay. And I had to make this choice of like, should I... Uh, get a normal job, go into the industry, uh-huh. or should I stay in the research? And mm-hmm. I decided, okay, I, I want to do what I think is fun, and that's research. <laughs> <laughs> that makes and sense. <laughs> that's 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 what I'm doing, and then I ultimately ended up going back from batteries back to magnetism and these quantum materials type of things, mm-hmm. uh, because that was just like that was the most interesting thing to me. So. Uh-huh. There are people who have like more noble motivations, like I want to do science because I want to help people. Like I feel like my research area is super important. And mm-hmm. sadly, I'm not one of those people. I just do things because they're cool. <laughs> and like somebody even pays me to do this stuff. That isn't that crazy. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I mean, it all comes down to that, right? Are you having fun with whatever you're doing? That's 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 how I go about it. I, I, am I having fun with what I'm doing? If yes, then yes. That's what I want to do. That's how I make my decisions mostly as well. So I completely relate to what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I did my uh, did my all, all my degrees, including PhD in Finland, and then my friend found this uh, job advert that was like, well, that would fit me, and. Uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in ended up in Sheffield. Okay, okay, that's quite a journey from wanting to be a lorry driver to being a scientist now, a postdoc in Sheffield. That's quite a journey you've had. Um, so uh, your current research, you did speak a little bit about it in the short podcast, but uh, if we were to go a bit more in detail or zoom out a bit, um, so where does your current research fit in this big picture of materials or nanoscience? That's an, that's an excellent question. So my kind of the broader research area is quantum materials. Mm-hmm. So materials where all these weird quantum effects 
actually results in something uh, in some new properties or some new types of states. Mm -hmm. So of course, all materials, uh, quantum, quantum mechanics affects all materials. But mm -hmm. this, this is kind of a subset of materials where the quantum effects are especially strong. Mm -hmm. um, and really, I think this is an area that is uh, at the intersection of solid state chemistry, condensed matter physics and material science. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's really in terms of like what I do myself, I do a lot of experiments at these large facilities and many of them are experiments that are mostly done by physicists. Okay. Um, so some of the experimental techniques I use could certainly be classified as physics, but then ultimately I'm, I, I'm a materials chemist. So mm -hmm. what I do in my job, the way I see it is my job is to make new materials. Right. So I'll use some cool techniques to characterize them, but at the end of the day, I need to make new materials. If I'm not making new materials, then I'm, then I'm not doing my job. True, true, true. Okay, and so you're making new materials with some fancy equipment and fancy techniques and fancy labs and expects expensive experiments. Is that correct? Uh, that, that's mostly correct. So sometimes, uh, sometimes I, a lot of the materials that I use, like the, the materials that I make, I'm not using fancy pants techniques to make them, okay. but, I'm, but I'm using fancy pants techniques to study them at very low temperatures. Ah, okay, okay. So a lot of my materials, they're not nanomaterials, they're just normal ceramics. Mm -hmm. So I just mix them up and I heat them up and then they, I bake a nice material cake and then I... <laughs> And then you use the fancy techniques to be like, okay, what property do you have? How do you behave if I go down with the temperature? How do yeah. how do how do the electrons move around and stuff like that? That's what you do, right? That's that's what I do, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, that sounds cool. That I think I understand this uh, a bit more now. That that makes complete sense. Uh, so it does sound to me uh, you did already mention that we are you're mixing up materials, making some nice cakes. So it sounds like you have done a lot of interesting experiments or have been involved in a lot of interesting research projects. Um, and I know this question is tough because uh, if anyone were to ask this question to me, I would also not be able to pick one. But if you have to pick one experiment or research project that you're most proud of or the most quirky or fun one, could you pick one and explain it to us in simple words in the section we call In Other Words? I'll, I'll try again with the simple words. I'm not sure how that will go. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, but I'll give I'll give it my best, and we'll see how far that goes. Absolutely. So, um, so one of the main areas that I'm looking at in terms of quantum materials are these materials known as quantum spin liquids. Mm -hmm. uh, so I explained some of this in the in the short uh, short podcast. Mm -hmm. So these are materials where you have uh, spins or these tiny magnetic moments, and then they are then how they are arranged with each other or what is the lattice uh, then affects a lot of like what the properties are. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are looking at things where you arrange your your ma tiny magnets or magnetic cations, often for example copper. Mm -hmm. copper ions you can arrange them in triangles so that you have a lot of triangles mm 
Right. Or you can uh, arrange them as honeycombs, or you can arrange them as this fun Japanese basket weaving technique. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's a lattice called kagome, which really comes from basket weaving. But really? <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, I wish. Probably doing the basket weaving would be at least as cool as doing this research. <laughs> we are good with simple words, yeah. I think I'm with you so far. Go on. <laughs> um, and one of the one of the way you can uh, arrange these cations is squares. And one of the reasons why squares and certainly squares of copper ions is important is because this is how superconductivity works in the so-called cuprate superconductors. So this was a really big deal in the 80s. So they gave the Nobel Prize for this like the year after they found these. Okay. So these were superconductors that uh, have a superconducting transition temperature that was larger, much larger than was thought possible from theory. Right. And in these materials, the super they are layered materials, and the superconductivity actually happens in this layer of in the square layer of copper ions. Right. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> back when this was, you know, the new cool, really cool thing. Uh, I, I still think this stuff is so cool. But that's that's me. There's not that <laughs> much research funding in it anymore. Uh, there, uh, a physics Nobel laureate called Philip Anderson. Uh, he made some predictions that in this square arrangement of, of these coppers, you, instead of superconductivity, you could also have a quantum spin liquid. So you could have a state where the the spins or these tiny magnets on these coppers would would behave in a liquid-like manner, even at absolute zero, where there is no thermal energy. So they shouldn't be moving. The spins shouldn't be moving at all. Mm -hmm. But because they are quantum mechanical things, uh, it's in in some cases it's possible. Mm -hmm. Now the thing is, nobody found a material that would do this for a right. very long time. Right. So they are, they are quantum spin liquids uh, where you have different arrangements. They are quantum spin liquids, especially with the triangles and the Japanese basket weaving. Mm -hmm. Lots of quantum spin liquids in those, but nobody found a quantum spin liquid on the square, even though there are dozens, maybe hundreds of theoretical predictions of what would happen. Right. And I was the first so, well, not me, our group was the first group to make a candidate material for the square type of quantum spin liquid. Uh -huh. After, you know, it was predicted 30 years earlier and right. we made the material that maybe works, maybe doesn't, but it's certainly the first, first candidate. Uh -huh. And that was sort of fun because I, I had this research idea and it was really simple. Mm -hmm. The idea was that, well, we have a square compound which mm -hmm. has a certain type of interactions and then we can change one atom and we have the same square but, but different types of interactions. And if we look at the theory, somewhere, somewhere between these two should be a quantum spin liquid. Oh. And my idea was just, okay, let's mix these materials and see what happens in the middle. <laughs> And it worked. And it it worked. That is so cool. That, that that is 
Wow. Do you remember the feeling when you first realized that, oh shit, did I, this actually work? Do you remember that moment? Yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. So that was that was certainly one of my favorite. So my favorite part of the job is going to do these cool experiments. Mm-hmm. And that's really like you're condensing like months or even a year of work into just a couple of days. So okay. it's like you get to travel somewhere, you get to do a cool, expensive experiment. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you find out in a day or two, you find out, did it work? Did it not work? And yeah. That's that's the coolest part. So we were do, we were pulling like really long days uh, in Switzerland at this uh, neutron and muon facility there called uh, the Paul Scherer Institute, uh-huh. and we cooled down our sample and it was like, oh, it worked. <laughs> we we had zero idea if it worked or not. We have zero idea what happens before we went and did the experiment, and it was like, oh. It worked. We are good. We did something great. Okay, I understand why you picked this as the experiment or research project that you're most proud of. Let's say one of the most proud of. I understand that now. The gravity of uh, happiness it must have brought you all, uh, your group and uh, you and your colleagues. Um, that, that is really cool. Like something that was predicted 30 years ago, and then in the present you just prove it experimentally like yeah the person who predicted it 30 years ago was right they knew what they were talking about that is really cool <laughs> that is awesome um, so other than uh, uh, other than um, doing the research itself which is so cool and so much fun uh, what other aspect um, of being a scientist do you enjoy uh, I, I do enjoy it I do enjoy teaching a lot, okay. um, so that's something that uh, I did as a PhD student. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually got a teaching degree, like a 60 ECTS credit teaching degree while I was a PhD student. Okay. okay. So my, my supervisor was very nice for letting me do that during my <laughs> PhD. Okay. So I did a, I did a bunch of teaching. Uh, on like undergraduate level chemistry courses and then master's level chemistry courses. Uh, my favorite was introduction to solid state chemistry because, well, that's where I I, I definitely know what I'm talking about. <laughs> true, true. Okay, so teaching, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and the other part of teaching, so as a postdoc, I'm not doing that type of teaching. I'm not doing any lectures or I'm not making any exercises or something like that, but I do have uh, two uh, and now one PhD students working on the same project as me. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, uh, I teach them a lot. I teach them new skills. I mentor them. Uh, we talked about we talk about science. We talk about, you know, what to do after the PhD, um, that sort of thing. And certainly that's been very fulfilling. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been lucky to have uh, to, I've been lucky to work with extremely good PhD students, so it's and I'm I'm kind of my 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 ideal is that I'm trying to kind of be the person I could have used when I was a PhD student. <laughs> you had uh, that person, right? Like during your master, you had this PhD student who you looked up to and you wanted to be like her, so you want to give back. Uh, yeah. to the community, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's something that we should all do. Like, 
most of us, like we got where we are because somebody else helped us along the way. So we should help the next generation of, of scientists. Absolutely. Yeah, you're and, completely right. Yes, please go on. And I certainly I hope that, you know, they'll I think the things that I do are cool, but I hope they'll they'll go on and do even cooler things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the best the best we can we can hope for as scientists is to, you know, teach the teach the teach the next generation to be even better. Absolutely. That's really kind of you. Um, and we talked about the next generation and grooming the next generation of scientists. So if, if okay, this, I'm going to ask you this question in two ways and you can choose to answer the way you uh, prefer. If you were to go back uh, when you started your scientific journey, uh, what, what advice would you give yourself or what advice would you give to the scientists who are starting out now? Um, yeah, from your experience. Yeah, that's... Um, <clears throat> you can choose which one. <laughs> that's a real good question. Uh, I, I think uh, one, one of them, certainly for me, that I could have used is don't worry so much. You are good enough to be here. Keep okay. going and uh -huh. keep learning. Uh -huh. okay. I, think, I think a lot of people, um, you know, we, we have all of these self-doubts. Mm -hmm. And it's it's on some level it's it's good to have it's it's good not to be arrogant but at the same time you know we we are all smart ultimately we're all very smart people here mm -hmm. and we all deserve to be here and right. we should you know we should we shouldn't be ashamed of like you know <laughs> if we don't know something well part of the PhD main part of the PhD is learning new things so. Sure. So at the start of the project, well, maybe you don't know that much about it because you've perhaps started started in a new field. Well, you'll you'll do a lot of learning, but at the end of your PhD, you are going to be the world expert in the very specific thing that your PhD is on. You right. are going to be the worst best person on that little thing. Yes, that is true. So like finding a balance between being arrogant and being self-confident. Uh, being humble, something like that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good advice. Um, I think other advice I would say um, is going on this again. Just never be afraid to ask questions, even if they feel stupid. Like people, people are happy to answer. People are happy if you show interest in their research. Mm -hmm. They will tell you. I mean, people will tell you about their research if you ask. Yes, true. And and well, the other thing is that. Being a PhD student is really different from being a, being a, you know, doing a master's or doing an undergraduate. So yeah. there, it takes a little bit of time to adjust. And I think one of the really important things is to be proactive. Mm -hmm. Like you are in charge of your PhD or your research project. So mm -hmm. you should be the one to go to ask other people, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm new. I want to learn this technique. Could you help me out? Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing, instead of you know, uh, <clears throat> just waiting, waiting for things to happen. <laughs> yeah, and that's. I, I think we should do a better job of of teaching really new PhD students. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we don't always do a great job of, you know, mentoring them and getting them really started, getting them really going, mm -hmm. because that is a lot of new things, new skills that they need to learn. Um, sure. Right. Yeah. 
And then there's the, there's fi two final things. One of them is start writing early. <laughs> Very practical advice. Very practical. Because <laughs> writing, it's not just about, okay, I'll need to write my thesis. Writing is also a way of thinking. It's a way of clearing, like, what am I really doing? Right. Why? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's also like writing my first article really made me think about, oh, how, how to design experiments for my next article. Mm -hmm. And that was how to formulate research questions, that sort of thing. Those are really important skills that the sooner you learn them, the better off you are. So I think just start writing early. <clears throat> right, right. And the, the last thing is I would really recommend seeking out a mentor. It doesn't have to be in your research group. It doesn't even have to be in your research field. You, you, you might want to look for a mentor that has kind of an outside perspective, but certainly finding a mentor or multiple mentors really helpful. Absolutely. So that's a lot of amazing advices that you have given. Thank you, Otto. Um, I, I'm also very happy to know that you're already mentoring the next generation and you're mindful of it when you are uh, mentoring the next um, generation of scientists, so to say, because the responsibility is on us to groom them in the right way and to shape them in the right way um, and everything. Um, let, let me let me ask uh, about you now, you as a, as a scientist. Um, I hope your research experience has been wonderful so far. Um, however, if you had three wishes to improve your research exper experience, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here, okay? Okay, so um, <clears throat> I'm going to take this from the perspective of, okay, there is a lamp and I'm, I'm rubbing it and a gene <laughs> comes out and they're giving me whatever I desire. Absolutely, yes, just put it out there. <laughs> and. Uh, I'm not smart enough to go for world peace here, but <laughs> but I think <clears throat> I think something that a lot of postdocs really want uh, is a stable career. Mm -hmm. So I wish I had a permanent position in research. And so my my personal philosophy or view is that my main job as a postdoc is to find another job, <laughs> and that's not. Perhaps a healthy way to look at it, but it's also a very realistic way to look at it. Right. So I wish we had more permanent careers that we didn't have to change countries every three years, two years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, permanent position. If I if I had that genie, I would I would. That's what that's the first thing I would ask for. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, the second thing, uh, I think this goes back to mentorship. So I have mentors that are wonderful, but what I would really need right now in order to get to that first wish uh, is a, something that people call a critical friend. So okay. I'm, I'm writing all of these proposals so that people would hopefully one day give me money and a permanent <laughs> position. And uh, I've, this, is not, this is not something that I've really done before. This is a whole new skill of writing right. proposals as opposed to writing articles. The, the, the writing style is completely different. Okay. So what I would really want is a person who would read through my applications very carefully and then tell me they're terrible and then tell me, okay, 
this like this idea might work, but you're going to have to do this and this and that. And the way you're saying this, it sounds like uh, it sounds like anyone could do this. And it sounds like this is just we could get a PhD student or a postdoc to do this. Why do why do we need a why do we need a fellow to do this? And where's your research vision? So that's that's the kind of like critical, but still friendly and constructive feedback that, yeah. you know, if I could just magic out of thin air, that's what I would want. <laughs> Okay. Okay, that's the second one. A mentor to guide you through writing the research proposals. Okay, got it. Next, the third uh, and last wish. Go on. And my third and last wish is uh, is just more more beam time or more experiments at these large <laughs> facilities. So I've I've been very lucky to do a lot of them, but uh -huh. it's my favorite part of the job. I just want to do more of them, <laughs> even more. Okay. Uh, there, uh, there are certainly instruments that are that are really oversubscribed. That like for each for let's say for each day of measurement time they have, they might get proposals for four days or even more of days. Oh, so okay. some of them, the competition is tough. <laughs> okay. So permanent position, mentor for writing. Uh, research proposals and more beam time. Okay, that sounds like a scientist's wish to improve the research experience. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could grant them all. I wish I could tell you, Otto, when you wake up tomorrow, all the three wishes are granted. Um, but I hope that you you are going in that direction of making these wishes come true. Um, well, now you have put it out on the podcast, or it's out in the universe. Uh, so hopefully you will find a mentor. Um, to write the research proposals and more beam time. I mean, you you know how, uh, how to get that. So I'm sure you'll just get better and better at it. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah <laughs> super. So Otto, this has been wonderful. I learned a lot about you and your science and your um, approach to science as well. But before I let you go, uh, one last question that I want to ask you is, um, I mean, I'm not going to say the C word or the P word, uh, but 2020 last year has been a tough year um, for for everyone. Uh, so what are your learnings um, to put a positive spin on it? What are your learnings from 2020 uh, which you can share with us? Well, uh, I think one of you know one of my main learnings has been really the importance of this whole social aspect of science and social aspect of research groups. Right. Uh, that's something that I've uh, come to appreciate even more now that we don't have it in the same way. Mm. Um, so things like just bouncing off ideas with people at the office. <laughs> Maybe just sometimes just being silly and talking about really silly things. <laughs> uh, at my, well, when I was a PhD student, uh, so, okay, after, may, maybe after beam time, my second favorite thing, we used to run a bad movie club every Thursday. Okay. <laughs> we okay. would watch incredibly bad films and it would just be so much fun. <laughs> so the kind of, th that's the kind of thing I, I, I miss the most, uh, the social aspect. And what I've kind of kind of related to this, I've really like in 2020, I've really come to appreciate the importance of mentorship, mm -hmm. um, both uh, as you know as acting as a mentor for both these PhD students. And in Sheffield, I was part of a um, 
part of a mentorship scheme where I was a mentor for a for another PhD student from another department entirely who were writing up their thesis. So we talked about what what's the process of writing a thesis like, uh, how to how to plan it out a little bit, how to kind of get into those good writing habits, that sort of thing. That was really, really helpful, and uh, really interesting. And I've, uh, I also have, uh, I have a mentor at Sheffield uh, who's been really helpful in terms of like thinking about, okay, where, well, your career so far is, I want to do cool things. How do we go from that? <laughs> like make it into an actual career. <laughs> how to how how to plan things forward and that sort of thing. So really, the importance of mentorship and again going back to this idea of like you know being the person that you know we would have really benefited from or paying paying it forward from you know from from all those people who have helped us in our in our research careers. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that's that's quite a, quite a lot um, of, of learning. So thank you very much for sharing those. Um, and I hope the bad movie club uh, on Thursdays continues uh, or is continuing in some way because uh, you're right, this is a very um, uh, we took this for granted the, the talking about silly things while at work we took it for granted and now that everyone is working from home it's mostly like okay we are going to talk about work we are going to talk about business and that's it uh, we're talking about silly but important things that make us human uh, is very very important um, and also the mentorship and all the other points that you mentioned uh, so thank you very much, uh, Otto, for speaking with me. This has been wonderful and looking forward to having you on Real Scientist Nano. Uh, thank you very much. It's been it's been a great to discuss and just have this casual conversation with you. So okay. thank you for having me and I look forward to uh, to hopefully getting some useful, useful tips and information out on the Twitter. Super, looking forward to it. <laughs>